So glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you having somebody from California. I almost, uh, almost didn't make it here. I was like, beyond deck, Paul, you might be preaching. Although I tell you, I saw that, that cool like little dome thing right there with the drummer. I think we should preach from inside that little booth right there. And if you're not good, they just keep you locked in there and you're like, okay, that's good. I was taking pictures in the first service. I was like, you know, the guy they bring out to talk about technology. I pulled out my phone. I was taking a picture of the orchestra for my dad because he loves brass. And I was like, oh, check out this orchestra. And I took a picture of the guy in there, sent it to my son and told him that they actually fill that with water during the hot season. Just wanted to see if my son would believe me. So uh, fun stuff. Actually, it'd be good if I was in there because the camera operators always can't stick. Oh, oh. Hey, oh, oh, yeah, huh? Yeah, there we go. So it, when I speak at the Assembly of God churches, the camera operators, they literally tag out halfway through. Okay, here we go. Oh, here we go. So glad to be here. Very excited about that. Um, it's funny, uh, last time I was here, I got to talk about, uh, to parents about Parenting Generation Screen, which isn't just teenagers, it's teens, tweens, young people. And we're going to find out at what age young people actually get devices now. Starting younger and younger. This afternoon, I'm glad to be teaching um, my brand new workshop. Absolutely, absolutely new information. Uh, tweens, teens, screens, self-esteem. We're going to dig into some essential conversations we need to be having as parents, grandparents, teachers, people who care about this younger generation growing up. And uh, we're also going to explore that delicate balance between connection and correction and what that looks like. Uh, been doing this for quite a while talking about parenting actually for a few decades. And I remember back in the good old days, and some parents, if you got kids that are grown right now and in your 20s, you might remember when the biggest problem was texting, you know? Those were the good old days when kids just had texting in their back pockets. And when everybody was like, what do we do with kids when they're just texting all the time? And now we only dream of that day. And I, I'm going to go back in history a little bit. Let, let's just, because a lot of people are like, well, why are things different? Why are we seeing some of these spikes in depression, anxiety, this and that? So let's just quickly, as a guy, I'm just, you know, I'm a social researcher. My job is kind of a nerdy one. I look at some of the trends that are going on uh, especially in the lives of young people, uh, studying uh, Generation Z especially, but a little bit of Gen Y, which is now uh, parents themselves. Uh, it, uh, you know, it, it's amazing to see millennials now. And I can always tell, by the way, when someone uh, in their research doesn't know a, a lot about what you're talking about, because they'll talk about young people today, millennials. I'm like, millennials are parents today. You know, it, it's amazing when you see this. But when you look at young people today and some of the trends that are happening, um, a lot of us go to the questions about technology. And as a guy who studies this all the time, let me take you back to January of 2007. Because in January 2007, a guy wearing jeans and sneakers walked out on the stage and he made an announcement that was probably one of the most important announcements or life-changing announcements in the world of technology and eventually in the world of self-esteem in the years to come. Because he said, today we're going to reinvent the phone. And he held up a device that nobody had seen before, the first iPhone. And the significance of that event was simply the fact that pre-2007, the way it used to be is teens sure did carry, young people did carry, you know, a device in their hand that could text or talk of text, which they did a ton of, talk they did very little of. 
And then they had social media on another device at home that was usually connected to the wall. Then they had their entertainment on yet another device that, you know, uh, an iPod or an iTouch where they could actually have their music or their movies or whatever. Then they had yet even another device maybe for gaming. On average, four to five devices. On this particular day, all those devices became one device. And America jumped on so fast that within five years, and it usually doesn't happen this fast, within five years, America crossed the 50% mark for adopting, having smartphones, not just the iPhone, but all, everybody else tried to get in on there as well. You know, you got Samsung, you got iPhone, you got Droid, you got all these, and they were fighting about who, the, you know, who had the rights, and it doesn't matter. All that matters is America loved it, and they wanted one in their pocket. So by 2012, a pretty significant year, because that's the year that Snapchat came out. It's the year that Instagram became a thing. And it's the year that the majority of young people got social media in their back pockets. Now, you can look at all the numbers, and that's what I do for a living. It's fascinating when you see, you know, the, uh, at, at what age people got phones and stuff. Uh, pretty much 9 out of 10 young people carrying these devices in their back pockets. And this device is a lot more powerful than that other one that they used to carry a decade ago. Matter of fact, this particular device has so many cool bells and whistles on it, not to mention the thing we're going to be talking about, especially this afternoon, is social media now right in their back pocket. Um, of course, the thing that's fascinating is, is this isn't just, you know, lots of times people will say, oh, well, teens, teens. This is affecting people younger and younger because we're seeing young people getting these devices um, at very young ages, because there's a lot of pressure. And parents, honestly, we don't know what we're doing. It's like, honestly, we're a giant experiment. And they just thought, here's, and the tech companies, they're throwing this stuff out there without any, and I'm not here to tell you that, that technology is bad or evil. But let's just be honest, we haven't figured this thing out. We haven't figured out when to have this thing out, when to have it in our pocket. This is a great tool for connecting people outside the room. But we're learning that it kind of interferes with our relationship with the people inside the room. And if we could just kind of figure out a little bit about this. And while we're figuring out, meanwhile, we're like, well, I want my kid to be safe, so let me get them a phone. So do you know in America right now, the average age that we're handing a kid a smartphone is 10 years old. And the average young person brings their phone into their bedroom. As a matter of fact, 79%, despite the fact that, name it, any study from the American Academy of Pediatrics uh, to, to you, know, you know, journal psychology, for ages they've been telling your family pediatrician to advise, don't, you know, hey, if you gave your kid a smartphone, you know, already, early, don't let them have it in the bedroom at least. But yet, 79% of young people bring it to the bedroom every night. 68% keep it within reach. 29% keep it in bed with them. I don't need a teddy bear. I got my smartphone. You know, th this, is, this is what we're at now, all right? And honestly, we can't sit there and just point our fingers at young people or something like that because we're the ones that hand them the device. We're the ones that realized long ago, hey, they behave better if we hand it to them in the car. So is it any surprise that years later, still looking at it in the car? And we as adults are doing that. Well, it's changing everything. Let's just be honest. It's changing everything. Hanging out is different than it used to be. Because hanging out used to be kind of where interaction and stuff is happening. And, and interaction still happens, but it happens a little less than before. Okay, let's be honest. A lot less than before. Interaction is less about the intimacy, and it's more about the proximity of, hey, I'm sitting next to you, aren't I? You know, we can each stare at our own screen. And if I walked into the typical 
family home, we would see that there's tons of screens. I mean, there's the big screen we have in one room. We probably have one in another room as well. Of course, dad's got an iPhone or, or a smartphone of some sort. Well, so do most people in the family, so there's lots of those. Well, then there's also that family iPad or tablet or whatever. Then there's the gaming system, and of course that has to be played on the old screen that's now maybe in the den or something like that. Then there's those two devices that our kids have in their drawer in their bedroom that even if you do not let your kid have their smartphone in their bedroom, they have access to and it has the same apps on Ooh. Sorry, I hope I didn't let the cat out of the bag. And uh, then there's the device that we carry around on our, on our wrist. I mean, we love screens. We've got so many different screens. If I were to walk into the typical American home at 7 p.m. on any night, it's not just young people staring at screens. Let's be honest. Dad is sitting there looking at a big screen. Mom's sitting next to maybe watching that screen, but also looking at a screen of her own. You go upstairs, definitely sister is looking through TikTok videos on her phone. Brother is playing games on his device. Toddlers flicking shapes across the screen. And the family dog is on the treadmill because no one will walk him. <laughs> I mean, this, this, this isn't a young people problem. This is a we love our screens issue here. And the question we need to maybe ask ourselves is, is there a chance that even the fact that there's more screens, more screen time, more connections, you know, than anyone in history, are we more satisfied? Is there a chance that maybe less could be more? I'm being very real with you. I like my screen. This screen can be fun. It is a great device for connecting with people outside the room when it doesn't interfere with the people inside the room. And what I'm just wondering is there are times that this screen is very helpful and is there are times where maybe it just belongs in the pocket. Uh, it's funny to watch how things are changing from screens. Uh, it's changing the way we enjoy moments. Uh, we used to just enjoy moments. Now we have to post about the moment. It used to be that we would just enjoy a cup of coffee, but now we got to let our followers know how good our cup of coffee was. We're all living the life of an 80s rock star. What do my followers think? You know, I just got to think about my followers. And because of that, and one of the things I'm going to talk about this afternoon is a certain number on our phone. That number right there has become very important because it's all about the number of followers or friends we've got. So we live in a country right now where Eight out of 10 young people want to be an influencer in one way or another. What's happening is this is kind of creating a lot of pressure on us because that number now is very important. And here's what it does to us just emotionally. It's kind of an interesting thing. And not a lot of people are talking about this because, again, this is brand new. So this is kind of new research that's just emerging. But what people have started to see is that there's this moment that everybody does talk about where you post something. Look it, I'm enjoying a moment. Let me post about it. But what we aren't talking about is after that moment, after we post about it, the waiting. Because after we post, there's this moment where we're waiting to see if the likes come in, see if the traffic goes up, see if we get the amount of followers we should have. And so some people, and we'll talk a little bit more about that this afternoon, are going to more lengths to try to, hmm, if I do this, I've noticed I've, you know, get a little bit more likes, or this is when the followers start to spike if I do this. And there's this moment after post where it's affecting a lot of us because even if we've got a bunch of followers, even if we've got a bunch of friends, there's always someone with more followers. How come I only got 637 likes? 
Taylor got 1,122 likes. I don't understand. And so it's starting to affect us, and we're seeing this number in particular be something crucial. Uh, let, let's try something real quick. Let's, let's talk about this influencer thing for just a quick second. Let's pretend that this room right here is America, who is, and, and by the way, we're talking, you know, literally when it comes to what percentage of America is online, it's almost pretty much Everybody, you're in the very high 90s. Uh, when it comes to young people, pre-COVID, it was like 97% have access online. And during COVID, because of schooling, everything like that, we're like, we need to get everybody. So I mean, we're at the 98 or 99% mark. So let's just say that this is America right here. This room is. Uh, let's try something. Um, if your birthday is January 1st through November 10th, go ahead and stand up where you are real quick. Let's just do something. January 1st through November 10th, go ahead and stand up. Okay. This is how many young people want to be influencers today. Go ahead and look around you. If this was America, this is how many young people want to be influencers today. So just look to your right and left real quick. Okay, sit down. Unless your birthday is May 3rd and you were born between 12 a.m. and 3.53 a.m. Sit down. Unless you're May 3rd. And you were born between 12 a.m. and 3.53 a.m. Do we have anybody? Do we have anybody? We got, hey, hey, we, we have two? Yes, give them a hand. Look at that. Or maybe even three. Woo! Okay, you may sit down. They right there represent the one 2,252nd that actually can make it as an influencer full time. Okay? That, that's just what the numbers are. Okay? They represent that. And, and we got to be careful here. Because, I mean, we don't want to squash. I mean, honestly, that's better odds than making it in the NBA, okay? You know, we don't want to tell LeBron, hey, buddy, you know, the odds aren't good. We don't want to squash LeBron's dreams. There might be a future LeBron right here, you know? But the fact is, there's a lot of young people out there who are trying, and the question we need to start asking is, what kind of effect is it having when a lot of us aren't making it or aren't quite seeing ourselves as being as popular, as liked as everybody else around us. And as a guy who studies this a lot, interview after interview, study after study of people with hundreds of thousands of followers who are saying the pressure was too much. Those who even made it to the top. And this isn't just a social media thing, folks. A lot of people who made it to the top can't handle the pressure. We've seen it a lot. And in the world of screens right now, what we're seeing is we're seeing depression spiking more than it ever has before. And folks, this research went before COVID because a lot of people consider, well, with COVID. No, no, no. Pre-COVID, depression had spiked more than ever had before. Teenage suicide among teen girls was at an all-time spike uh, anxiety, everything. And of course, people are looking, hey, screen time's going up, depression's going up. People started drawing those lines. Of course, some people started putting blame right away. So we start seeing studies come out. We start seeing people saying, hey, these technology companies knew about this. We're seeing reports coming out naming certain social media. Hey, you know, comparisons on Instagram are making it really tough out there on young girls because there's this constant, you know, comparison going on. How come I'm not getting as many likes? How come I don't look as good? 
My daughter and I embarked on a book. We were actually finishing it up last time I was here two years ago. And as we wrote this book, it was fascinating to hear her perspective on this because as someone who loves social media and who actually enjoyed Instagram, she was very vulnerable in this book. And she said, every time I posted something on Instagram, she goes, in all honesty, I thought everybody else looked good in the pics and I couldn't help but compare. She said, that's the one thing Instagram always does to me. It makes me compare. And she says, comparison is the thief of joy. Then COVID came along. And when COVID came along, basically, all of a sudden, it hit a generation that was already pretty lonely. It's ironic, more connected, but less intimate friends. COVID comes along, and all of a sudden, it's hitting us in the face, and a lonely generation got even lonelier. And we started to see, actually, depression and suicide go up but also we saw an awareness where a lot of people start to admit, hey, you know what? I like face-to-face -face relationships. I crave this. And that's something we're going to talk a little bit more about this afternoon as well, is the fact that, you know, I mean, there's screens can be a really good thing, but is there a point where maybe enough is enough? What do we do as parents and grandparents and people who care about this generation? But the question I want to focus on right now is I want to ask, as a family, as a church body, is it too much? Are there possibly some unforeseen consequences to being so overconnected that we don't connect anymore? We live right now in a country where the average mom and dad spends more time on a screen than they do with each other or their kids. Is there a chance that we are so overconnected that we don't even connect anymore? What's the answer? Well, to get the answer, let's go to a place where I think all the answers are, and let's go to Luke chapter 10. And just to prove to you that I don't think screens are bad, I'm gonna go on my screen right here. Here we go, Luke chapter 10. Um, and honestly, it's because uh, I can make the font really big, and that really helps me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, I, I mean, I'm, I got it big. It's like for God so loved. Yeah, there. Okay, I can read that. There we go. Okay, Luke chapter 10, here we go. Starting with verse 38. It's amazing how this, by the way, 2,000-something years ago, so perfectly relevant today. I'll start in verse 38. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened up her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was, what's the next word? Distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Okay, let's pause right there for a quick second. Uh, picture this. I mean, I, I love this, that we see this story about these two sisters, and, and we don't know exactly what went on, but it was something like, here's two sisters that wanted to connect with Jesus. Maybe the conversation was, Martha, when you cook, Oh, I mean, you've got a gift, girl. So I'll tell you what, you cook a meal, and I bet you anything Jesus and his posse might show up. It might be a cool thing. And sure enough, they invite. Jesus says, sure. And he and the disciples show up. And when they show up, they're like, this is great. We wanted to connect with Jesus. We thought if we do the meal thing, we'll be able to connect with Jesus. Mary, she gets it, immediately plops at Jesus' feet. And it's just soaking him in. But Martha was distracted. Let me ask you a quick question. Anything wrong with cooking? 
Anything wrong with the gift of hospitality? No, I mean, it's a good thing. Those are good things. There was nothing wrong with what Martha's intentions were. She, with good intentions, set out to do something that would help her connect with Jesus. The problem was that she got so focused on that something that she forgot about the connecting with Jesus part. As a matter of fact, she allowed it to become a source of bitterness between her and her sister. And next thing you know, she's coming to Jesus and going, Jesus Christ. And he was like, yes. Okay, maybe that wasn't funny. But the thing is, she says, come on, can we, uh, can we do something here? I mean, tell, tell her to do this because, because, I mean, come on, I'm doing all the work here. She was so distracted by something that she set out with very good intentions to connect. And that very thing that she was using to connect kept her from connecting. Hmm. Kind of weird, huh? She was so distracted by what she was trying to use to connect that she forgot about connecting. I got an opportunity to perform a wedding for a young girl who grew up at our house all the time. She was friends with one of my daughters. And when this young girl decided to get married, she asked if I would do the wedding as a minister. And I said, sure. And as we were talking once about kind of some of the lessons of, you know, prepping for this wedding, I said, I said, can I share something? She said, sure. I said, I've done several weddings and here's just something I've noticed. I've noticed a lot of brides, when they get to that wedding day, they're so stressed out by having tried to make this day that's supposed to be one of the greatest days on earth. They were so focused on having such an insta-perfect wedding that they're so stressed that literally as I'm standing in the back room with the bride beforehand, she's ready to walk down the aisle. She's guzzling Pepto-Bismol to deal with an ulcer that she's got from trying to make this day so perfect that she wasn't able to enjoy the day. Sometimes in life we get so distracted with something that it, 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 it distracts us from the connections, from the stuff that matters. And a lot of us, when I say there's something that's distracting us, you know exactly what it is. It would fill in that blank. If we were to fill that out, sometimes I allow blank to become a distraction in my life. You know exactly what it is. Um... I wrote a book to, to young men a few years ago um, about some of the battles we face. And it's interesting in, in a world where eight out of 10 young men have their device in their bedroom at night and a friend sends them a music video or something and one click leads to another. And before we know it, we're, we're finding that we're fighting a battle. And it might start even with an innocent search or something. And next thing we know, we're kind of fighting a battle because, I mean, we've got these screens so accessible. We've got something very, and for a lot of us, it's these distractions have started to take over. They've started to take over from the things that matter in life. So what does Jesus say? What, what, what does he tell us about these distractions in our life? Let, let's keep reading because his answer is amazing. So we left with, Martha coming up and saying, Lord, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha, the Lord replied. You are worried and upset about so many things. How many of you, by the way, are right there? <laughs> worried and upset about so many things. But indeed, few things are needed. 
or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I love this. Modern translation, here's what it would be. Martha, Martha, chill, order a pizza. And I love the fact that Jesus doesn't even name what the one thing is because it's so obvious. Martha, you're so distracted by so many things. You're so distracted. This went probably a little deeper than just prepping a meal. You're so distracted about all these things when only one thing is needed and your sisters found it. And it's interesting because when we look at this one thing throughout Scripture, so many of us, uh, we're going through life and maybe with good intentions, we allow other things to become a distraction, other connections to become a distraction from the one connection that matters. Some of us are actually connecting with people, complete strangers, and we're hurting the relationships with the people around us, our sister and our Lord, who is begging us to just sit at his feet. Martha allowed her cooking to become the one thing instead of Jesus. Jesus talks, by the way, uh, th this one thing is n nothing new in Scripture. We see it all through Scripture. Matter of fact, uh, one of Jesus' followers, Paul, talks about it later in his letter to the Philippians. He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken a hold of this, but one thing I do, forgetting what's behind, straining toward what's ahead, I press on towards the goal, which is Christ Jesus. That's the one thing. We see later in the book of Hebrews, Hebrews does this like summary, like this cliff note version of the heroes of faith in the Bible. And it says, look at all these people. Look at all these heroes of the faith. And the next verse says, considering these cloud of witnesses, these great people of faith, let's do something here. Let's strip off all that hinders that sin that so easily entangles. And let's do one thing. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus. We keep seeing this over and over again. We have these things that so easily entangle us, and we allow them to become a distraction. For a lot of us, that one thing that we would write in that blank, we know it's something that's entangling us and needs to go. What do you need to trim? Uh, I love mountain biking. And uh, I won't say I'm a great mountain biker, but I live by some great mountain bike trails. I live in California at the base of the Sierra Mountains, uh, right near Folsom. And you can literally go right up the hill to one of the most beautiful places on earth. I'm not exaggerating, Lake Tahoe, the deepest, bluest lake you've ever seen. And it's set up at an elevation so high that it's surrounded by snow-capped mountains and pine trees. Gorgeous. And when you look at it, the blue is entrancing. It's just, it's so majestic. It's amazing. I'm going on this mountain bike ride with my friends Mark and Amy who coach mountain biking. I don't coach mountain biking, okay? I have a mountain bike, and my mountain bike is worth about the same amount as their back wheel of their mountain bike. And it's funny that I mentioned the back wheel because right before the ride, Mark says, okay, Jonathan, today there's lots of distractions on this ride. He goes, um, listen to me if you don't want to die. I said, you got my attention. He says, we're going to be up on some precarious trails. We're going to be next to some edges that if you fall off, uh, yeah, you'd probably die. And so uh, what I want you to do is I want you to focus on my back wheel. 
Uh, you can't take your eyes off this trail. I'm going to be in front of you, so just watch my back wheel. You're going to be tempted to look. He goes, we can sight see later. He goes, when we're going on this precarious trail, do not look to your right or left. Keep your eyes focused on, and he said it, one thing, my back wheel. I said, okay, back wheel, don't die. Got it. That's good. I'll try it. And so we started on this ride, and he wasn't kidding, man. This was a crazy ride. We're, we're going, and, and it's like, we're going left. We're going right. We're on this trail. And I'm just sitting there. I'm just like, watch the back wheel. Don't die. Watch the back wheel. Don't die. And I'm doing that. And pretty soon we go up, and we hang this left, and we're in this clearing where I see from my God-given peripheral vision this beautiful blue big something over there. But I'm going, watch the back wheel. Don't die. Don't look right or left. Watch the back wheel. But it was blue and it was there and it was open. It was entrancing. And I was just like, maybe I could just, just, oh my gosh. I mean, it was, it was, it was amazing. It was there. It was Lake Tahoe. It was gorgeous. It was surrounded by snow-capped mountains, trees, gorgeous. And that's why I didn't, true story, see the trail turn left and Mark turn left. I went straight right off the edge. True story. And as I go off, it's happening in slow motion. And I'm like, oh, darn. And there's this pine tree right there. And I just grabbed it like elf, man. I just poof, grabbed it. And as my body kept going, the, and I'm like, my bike is hooked to my feet, you know, and I just go like this. The pine tree goes, like I literally just grabbing this poor little Christmas tree. It's just, and when it got all bent down like this, the Christmas tree was like, hey, dude, you need to lay off the pizza a little bit. I'm like, shut up. You're a tree. And Mark comes back and he goes, you took your eyes off my back wheel, didn't you? I was like, but the lake is so beautiful. Is there anything wrong with looking at a lake? The fact is, sometimes things become a distraction from the one thing that's important. What do you got to trim? I'll close by telling you this. Um, a few years ago, uh, my, uh, uh, when my kids were still in the house, they've grown up now, gone out of the house. Uh, they were getting ready to go on a missions trip, and on this missions trip, uh, the youth pastor decided to do something kind of, kind of bold. He said, I want to prepare our hearts for the missions trip, so we're going to try something. We're going to do a media fast. We're not going to fast from food. We're going to fast from screens and music and entertainment media. We'll just fast for a little bit, and everybody's like, okay. And, like, and he said, so if we want to do this missions trip, we're going to fast for the month before the trip. And everybody starts freaking out. My kids are like, a month? I'm not going. I mean, literally, kids are like, I'm not going on this stupid trip. You know, and we as parents are like, ah, oh, come on, grow up a little bit. And then the youth pastor literally says, and as families, it'd be unfair for them to do it, so we're going to do it too. And immediately the parents are like, this is stupid. You're not going on this trip. You know, I mean, I mean we're just, you know, come on. I don't want to miss NCIS Waco. I mean, come on. NCIS for every town in this nation right now. But so, and we're, so we all were kind of like rebelling a little bit. And we're like, you know, and finally we're like, okay, let's pray about this. And so we prayed as a family. And as a family, we're like, okay, let's try it. And I remember like literally the first couple days, it was just weird. We got in the car. I'd flip on the radio and my kids were like, dad, don't. And I'm like, it was Chris Tomlin. I thought it was okay. I'm sorry. You know? And literally, like at night, my kids would finish the homework, like four or five o'clock, and they'd come downstairs, and they'd be like, 
what are we going to do? I'm like, I don't know. Here's a ball. Let's throw it at the dog. Dog lost 30 pounds that month, all right? <laughs> I mean, it was amazing. We started hanging out as a family. We started, we, I mean, literally, we were like, what are we going to do? So we'd sit there and we'd light a fire in the living room, which is really weird because we don't have a fireplace. <laughs> but I mean, we just, we were like doing anything, you know? Just hanging out. When the 30 days were up, they went on a mission trip. They came back. And I'll never forget, they're like, Dad, we, um, we, we, we can't go back the way it was. They said this. And they weren't ready to give up screens or anything. I mean, I think we literally did a Lord of the Rings extended edition trilogy day where we were like for 12 hours sitting on the couch like, must have screen. You know, we, we kind of soaked it back in, you know, right into our veins. But we talked as a family, and we came up with an idea. And for our family, we came up with No Tech Tuesday. It was just a taste. It was like, hey, on Tuesdays, what do you say when we're done with homework, whatever, that we just make that a night where we just sit and read by the fire, got a fireplace by then, you know? Because we realized that less was more. What do you maybe need to trim in your house? We'll talk a little bit more this afternoon. I encourage you to come back. Uh, let's pray. Lord God, um, thank you so much for who you are. Um, God, this is, this is a tough topic because in all honesty, it sometimes almost makes us angry because we really like our screens. And there's some really good things on our screens. But God, if we're being honest, there's some distractions on those screens. There's some distractions in our life that don't belong there, and they so easily entangle. And God, we've tried to maybe strip them away, and we can't, and we need you to do it. And the one thing we need is to sit at your feet and soak in your truth in a world so full of lies. God, please strip this away from us. And as you're sitting there, I'm about to finish praying. As you're sitting there listening with your eyes closed and your head bowed, I encourage you, if there's something you need to strip away, deal with it today. Come up after the service. Come to one of the crosses here up in the front, and someone will be there to pray with you. Maybe you've got something that you need to trim. Lord God, you know what those items are. Help us to have the boldness to simply let go and let you have those. God, we pray this in your precious name and all God's people said. Thanks so much, everybody.